You're listening to Family Feud, part of the Paris Style Podcast family. They might not be brother and sister, but they sure do fight like they are. Here's your hosts, Keely Yor and Shotgun Spratling. Welcome to another episode of the Family Feud Podcast. I'm your host, Keely Yor, joined by Shotgun Spratling for another edition installment you may say of our spring 2019 preview today we're going to be looking at the trojans defense uh what's to come who's actually going to be there spring true, camp? Very the, true. the numbers are a little little sketchy so we'll take a look at that uh before we do as a reminder you guys can subscribe to us on itunes google play and audio boom you can also email us your questions or submissions to our podcast at family feud pod at gmail.com and i want to thank everyone who sent us emails we have some questions we'll answer in this pod and then uh some questions for the third pod so it'll be cool well if you it's still not too late if you want to get a question in either about the offense the defense or whatever offseason question you have we can address that in the the third part of the trilogy the finale if you will uh but shotgun this defense as a whole it's Clancy's fourth year returning. You know, there, there's some defensive continuity there. What do you expect from this defense before we get into the nitty-gritty? You know, I think that you expect this defense to be at full speed now. Uh, you know, you, you had some guys, even initially you had some guys that were left over from Clancy's first time here as defense coordinator. Guys like Michael Hutchings that were able to help other guys out. Chris Hawkins, you know, they, they were able to teach other guys up and stuff. But now everyone in the program should be at that level. Uh, you know, your older guys should be teaching your younger guys. You know, you shouldn't have a big drop off when you lose a guy, uh, you know, just because of the experience factor. Now you should have guys that are ready to step in and ready to go. And you have talented guys that are replacing some big name spots. You know, Cameron Smith being gone, Porter Gustin being gone, the whole secondary being gone. But you got, you, there are talented guys behind them. How quickly can those guys step up? That's what, what you, you want to see, that there's not a drop-off and there's not like a, a big trial period at the beginning of every season where you start 1-3 and three of the Rose Bowl season, you, you turn things around, but you don't want to start 1-3 and three every year because you're trying to figure out how your defense is going to work. No, you should be able to have guys that are stepping in and ready to go from day one. Uh, so we'll see how that, that works. I mean, like I said, there are talented guys behind some of the spots they lost. Are those guys ready to step in and become stars, though? You know, not just, yeah, they can, they can fill in, but now they need to become the stars. You need guys like Pali and Itiote. You need Solomon Tulipupu. You need these really good uh, recruits that you've had, especially when you have a recruiting class like this past year where you don't have a ton of stars in it. You need the guys that are previously, that are your five stars to, to come and, and play at the level that you expected them to when they signed. Clancy comes from an NFL background, and I think there's a little bit of, like, mystery around how he gets his his favorite players it seems like it's the guys who are in the the film room all the time who take it like it is a profession you know you looked at cam smith you looked at chris hawkins those guys were they they were veterans who took it seriously and and kind of acted like they were already at the next level is it hard for someone who's coming in and younger to try and adopt that type of mindset to get into clancy's favor well, I don't think it's hard to adopt that, though. I think you need players in front of you to show you the way type of thing. You need those seniors to say, hey, this is what we do. You know, you hear guys every year, some of the younger guys. I remember Oluwole Batiku, you know, his first year, he's, or the first uh, after his redshirt year, his, his second year uh, where he didn't redshirt, we should have redshirt, I mean, when he, you know, the, in the spring afterwards, he said the biggest difference is now I'm watching film. You know, I didn't never have to do that. I was just using my – basically he was using his physical abilities in high school, and he had learned that. And that's something you learn from older players because everyone coming in is one of the top 
two or three best players on their team, if not the best player in their county or whatever it may be. You know, you may be the best player in your area coming out of high school. Now you have you're on par with other people or you're not as talented as some of the other people on your team. So now it's a different mindset. You have to go in there. You have to do the work. So you have to find those players that are willing to come in and, and be go about that, you know, the business side of it and try to make themselves better players. But they learn that from the older players on the team. So I think that USC has to have the veterans show the way. And that's a question we've had about leadership in the past within the last couple of years. Are those, are there their vocal leaders to t- say, you know, this locker room, you know, shouldn't be messy or whatever it is. Like, you know, we have to hold ourselves to a higher standard. That comes from inside. That comes from players telling other players rather than the coaches having to come and, and you know, jump on somebody to get stuff done. Uh, and that's, you know, cleaning up the weight room or that's, you know, doing the extra reps or whatever it may be, going in the film room uh, on your own. Those type things are led from player uh, player leadership rather than the coaches having to say, hey, I need you here this time every time. Uh, you know, Those guys have to do it on their own to an extent. Yeah, exactly. And I think we also heard that frustration from Cam Smith at the end of the season. You know, he he essentially said there's only so much I can do. There's only so much I can exactly. lead a horse to water, but there are problems there. And that's something that I wonder if that has been addressed, if that has gotten better at all, if, if certain guys now that – um, the leadership mantle like Iman Marshall and, and, and Cam Smith are gone, are guys realizing that and stepping up to the challenge and the task of what is required of you if you're going to step up as a leader or just fill in those gaps? Yeah, you have to get that full buy-in from a team. For a team to succeed to its best ex- uh, best abilities, the whole team has to buy in. If you're the guy that's on the bench and you're not going to get an opportunity, but there's a chance where you become Nico Fala and you're the four-string center and suddenly you're thrown into a game late in the season, you got to be ready. You can't be like, well, I'm never going to get in this season, so I'm just going to lollygag at practice, whatever. you got to be going hard all the time to try to improve yourself, and you work your way up that depth chart. You work your way, you know, especially in a, in a sport like football where there are injuries. You have to be prepared if a, a situation comes up. If you get switched, if you're Chase Williams, you get switched to the nickelback spot the last week before the season starts. You know, He was ready to go. That's what you need from the entire team. You can't have guys thrown in there and being going, well, I didn't practice here before, so I can't do this. Uh, you know, you need guys that are willing to go that extra mile, and it takes a full buy-in from the team. And that's what I think Cam Smith was kind of uh, hinting at, is that he was questioning whether there was the full buy-in from the rest yeah. of the team. Because a leader can do so much. A leader yep. can help push you to an extent. You still have to push yourself as well. So we'll see how the, the team changes. The dynamic every year changes with, with every single team in college because college is unique in that regard. Uh, in in pro, professional sports, you might have a core you know, depending on the sport, you might have a core 80% of your roster doesn't change. Those guys set the tone for the new guys coming in. Whereas college, every year you're getting new guys coming in and the older guys are gone. So it, it makes it a much different kind of dynamic there. So you have to, coaching staff has to work on that too. That's yeah. something you got to do the team building stuff. You know, I talk with coaches all the time to talk about, we, we go out and do this extra, you know, team building things. And, you know, it, it may sound cliche trying to put things together. One coach even told me uh, earlier this week, he's like, you know, it might sound corny, but yeah, we do team building exercises to, because you have new guys coming in. You got to get guys that are on the same page that want to go that extra, you know, that extra mile, that extra step for their for their teammate. If you don't really like your teammates, it's much easier to, man, I think I'm going to skip that extra optional workout. But whereas, well, my boys are in there. I'm just going to go hang out and you know lift some weights while I'm in there. It becomes a hangout session versus it's work I got to do. Yeah, much less individual versus 
team oriented. That's mm-hmm. why I don't have a problem with like something like a paintball thing before fall camp starts, you know? I, I know that that's a big issue. Now, the thing that I would like to see a little bit different is we've seen kind of the same things as far as the ice cream truck comes on this certain day. Yeah. You know, things that become routine, that's not good. In general. Like practice too. Yeah, but it's, it's the same. I mean, we've talked about that plenty of times. <laughs> where we want things to switch up a little bit, and I think it, you, it's especially with uh, players today. I, I've talked with coaches in the past about how you know it's got some older coaches how the dynamic has changed with players that you you need more stimuli. You need to change the stimuli more often to keep guys engaged as much as you did in the past. Um, so that's just a product of the generational you know, changes uh, of human beings and the society we're in. But you have to do that. You know, you got to switch things up. You got to change. You got to keep guys off their, you know, on their toes a little bit. And, you know, I think that if you do that, Pete Carroll was so good at that, you know, with the different gags or bringing someone different to talk to the team. You know, if you get a team excited, you talk about the jerseys. You know, USC's not going to change their jerseys, but that's something that gets people excited. You give them an extra piece of gear, they get excited by the Jordans that they get, those type of things, those extra perks. Now, those have to be earned. Yeah. And I think you have to make players earn that. You earn that ice cream visit during the middle of a camp. It's not just something, well, we're going to get ice cream at some point. Tell the freshmen when they come in, like, oh, yeah, this, you know, usually on this day is about when we – no, it shouldn't be routine. Yeah. But – you make players earn it, and if they earn it, then I think that keeps the you know keeps the flow, keeps the momentum of a team. Uh, it doesn't have to be a strict drill sergeant type of thing in college sports. That can work at some places. You know, Nick Saban is much more of that than you know even a guy like Urban Meyer. Urban Meyer was open to doing more fun things for his team. You can do in different strategies, but this USC team, I think they have to do things a little bit differently, get everyone to buy in, and then let that talent play up. You know, we talk about all the recruiting stars and stuff and how that becomes an issue back and forth. Are they playing up to their potential? No, not really. Obviously, when you go five and seven with one of the top, you know, top 10 recruiting classes every year, that's not acceptable. That's not playing up to your potential. So, this year, USC needs to do that. They need to be able to play to their potential. And if you get everybody to buy in, that's how it happens. Yeah, agreed. Now, when you say Clancy Pendergast, a, a, a phrase or a word that is often said with his name is rotation. You know, what? how much rotation is there going to be? Are the stars or the players that need to be on the field going to be on the field? Now, you, Shotgun, are someone who would know this more so than I think anyone or the average person since you chart everything um how did you see Clancy use rotation in 2018 did it get better as Clancy said that he would try to do Uh, what are your thoughts on that so I looked at it early in the season the first couple games I looked at specifically because it's it's a kind of a time-consuming thing to chart exactly how many backup uh you know Backup snaps are being played versus starters being played. It takes a little bit extra time, so I didn't continue it through the season. Probably should have done that. But uh, So at the beginning of the season, USC was rotating a lot more. Now this happens every single season that early in the season you rotate more guys, especially if you play, not, I don't want to call it a throwaway game, but a throwaway game early in the season when you play an, an inferior opponent, you know, a money grab game for you know, the, the team coming in usually. When you play a team like that, you hope to get up. You hope to be able to rotate more. So when I look at things, I don't look at garbage time, what I quote-unquote quote, quote unquote garbage time, where there are more than a certain amount of starters out. I think it's usually when there's five starters out, then I don't count it. 
uh, as a, you know an official snap for you know debating whether or not he rotates more. But last year at the beginning were the best rotation numbers that they had in the last two years prior to that under Clancy Pendergast. So he rotated more that year than he had all last season uh, or all the previous season, 2016. And then from the couple games that I had done in 2015, there were far better numbers there too. So there was more rotation at that time. Now, I think when you got some of the injuries they had later in the year, the, the rotation shrank a little bit. But there were some things. He did a lot more things where it was third and long packages, where you had Hunter Eccles or you had Abdul Malik McLean at the end of the year or you know those guys coming in. And they're only playing a handful of snaps, but that's exactly what I – want to see from you know young talented players give me Pallia and Naitiote I want him to play at least five to eight snaps every game I said the same thing with Levi Jones I would say probably the same thing with John Houston you know his first year when you know he's not redshirting is give those guys a series uh you know let them make a mistake before you yank them out there you know give them the opportunity to to get the feel of the game you know get the speed of the game those type things and I think that Clancy rotated more last year than he has before with some of the packages and different things that they did. Uh, but then later in the year, it was kind of hampered by, you know, you have so many injuries in the secondary and stuff that you only have so many guys you can play. So the rotations kind of shrank later in the year. And, you know, when you're struggling, you, you stick with your core guys as much as possible. But I, I think he was showing that more early in the season. Now, do they have enough talented guys as backups this year to want to do the same thing? I think that was part of it because the, the freshman class coming in was really good. You had guys like Elijah Griffin or Isaac Taylor Stewart getting a, a couple of opportunities here and there, doing some different things uh, that, that now I don't know if this freshman class, if they're ready to step in immediately and do that. We'll see. Yeah, maybe like a Drake Jackson, maybe. Yeah, he's a guy that I want to see. I want to see what he does. And I'm curious to see where we put, where that he is put so that, uh, you know, where does USC want to use him? Does, is he a defensive end? Is he an outside linebacker? We'll talk about that in a minute. But, you know, he's a guy that if I'm using him as, as a coach, I want him on the field because he's, a, he's an, a unique and elite pass rusher. You know, he's got great athleticism. Saw the video yesterday of him doing backflips. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, you know, a guy at 275 pounds now doing a backflip, that's pretty good. Pretty good. Yeah. <laughs> One final question before we get into the depth chart. Uh, we have actually a question from Richard from Husky Country. He says, will the new not-quite-air-raid offense affect the defense at all? Could it help prepare the new DBs for a pass-happy Pac-12 conference? No, I, Yeah, definitely. I think that when you're doing your – Team versus team, ones versus ones, we're you know, just going at it. You know, I think that definitely helps when more teams in the Pac-12 uh, attack with the pass. But you know, I, I don't think that it's going to affect the defense that much in practice. The bigger question is, what tempo are you running in the game, and how much rest are you giving the, the defense? Now, I think they can go super quick tempo and actually give the defense more rest this year than last year. Because the offense was so bad at times where they were three and out just consistently that the defense, you know, the, when the offense struggled, they struggled mightily. And it was for stretches. You know, it's kind of like, you know, the, the USC football offense is kind of like a basketball offense where it's, you know, that shoots a lot of three pointers. But when they go cold, you know, suddenly it's a 15 0 streak or a 14 2 or whatever rather than, you know, kind of back and forth. USC would struggle for a while, and that means your defense is on the field for a long time. So for long stretches, you know, you go from you know middle of the first quarter through the through halftime, and, and you've done really well those first couple of drives at Texas or, or Utah. Suddenly, 
the defense seems like they're on the field for you know an ex- almost the entire time until halftime. You go into ha- halftime, you're gassed because you've been on the field the last 15 minutes or so. So you know, I think that this offense is going to you know make more adjustments, and I think that they're going to move the ball a little bit better. So if they do that, I think that actually ends up giving the defense more rest on the sideline, even if they go with a really fast tempo. Yeah, I mean, we we I've mentioned it so much since this interview happened, but that Cam Smith interview was probably the most honest he's been his whole time at USC. That's what happens when you play your last game. But he was like, with Sam Darnold, we knew the offense was going to go out there and score. Like we had, we knew that that was going to happen. He was like, this season it was different. We'd come back to the bench and then we'd have to come back out again. And he was, he essentially said like it, it was pretty defeating having to come out so many times after we put up like stops, you know? So I think if anything compared to USC 2018 offense, if it's fast, if it's a fast offense that scores, it's better than an offense that does not score. Yeah. And the thing about the defense was it never really felt like they were just, they were, you know, at the end of games, they were, you know, getting run over or anything. And, you know, they just fallen off because they were fatigued. It didn't. It never really seemed like that, but I just think the cumulative effect of being out there so long in some games is you're going to give up a big play if you you know if you're on the field for eighty plays versus sixty plays. That's twenty more opportunities for a big play to happen. Yep. So I I think that there's just more opportunities there. The defense would just had it. You know they were had a lot thrown on their shoulders, and you expected that defense to be even a little bit better than it was with so many experienced guys coming back. But I don't. I just don't think the offense helped them out last year. I think the offense will be better this year. I think Graham Harrell will will have a bit better of an identity with this team instead of the, the gumbo that everyone talks about. I think you're going to have, you know, you're, you're going to be able to build on some some concepts throughout the season, and we'll we'll see in spring practice how much we can kind of decipher from the offense and what they're trying to do, and we'll, we'll see you know what direction maybe they're going in. But you know that that's the thing. I think the offense will be better, and that'll help the defense out. Agreed. Well, getting into the depth chart, let's start off with the defensive line. For departures, you have one in Malik Doran. For early additions, a.k.a. early enrollees, you have Nick Figueroa, the JUCO transfer, and then you have Drake Jackson coming in. We mentioned him earlier at the top. Uh, and as far as the rest of the depth chart, you have Marlon Tui-Pelotu, Jay Tufele, Brandon Peely, Trevor Trout, Caleb Tremblay, Jacob Lichtenstein, Christian Rector, Liam Jimmins, and Connor Murphy. That's a lot of names, Shotgun. What stands out to you? What what pops out? This is USC's deepest position, for sure, this this season upcoming. I mean, not only do you keep pretty much everyone. Malik Dorton did play, uh, you know, was a solid contributor last year. However, you add two new guys in there as early enrollees. You get everyone else back. And that's guys that have started. Marlon Tuipolotu, Jay Tufele, Brandon Peely, all have started. Before Caleb Tremblay got injured, he was getting some opportunities. Jacob Lichtenstein really came on late in the season, got some extra opportunities in there. Christian Rector, obviously, you know, they hope that he gets back to the production that he had two years ago. Last year, he had those opportunities still. He was doing a great job getting to the quarterback, wasn't doing a great job pulling the quarterback down at times. So he missed some opportunities there. If he pulls down a quarterback once or twice more, um, you know, then you're adding up that sack total again like you had a few years ago. Liam Jimmins came on, played really well. When he had opportunities, he was one of the best defensive tackles rushing the passer. And then Connor Murphy is a question mark. Yep. Where do they want to use him, and do they want to use him? Because he was at the outside linebacker position before at the predator spot, never really got some run. And then, you know, when Porter Gustin got hurt two years ago, he was the first guy in there. But the initial results were not good enough for Clancy Pendergrass and Clay Helton, and they made a quick switch, and that's when Christian Rector went there. 
And then later, you know, Jordan Isefa played some, some of that spot. So he got passed over a couple of times there. They moved him inside last year. He had to bulk up a little bit. You know, I and just never saw him really flash at that spot. So how are they going to use him? How can they use his skill set as, you know, a 6'7 guy that can come off the edge? Can you, can you find a way to get him in those pass rush situations where you can widen him out, let him use his height, let him use his strength, and, and try to come off the edge, you know, around someone rather than trying to go through the middle? I don't, I'm not exactly sure what they want to do with him. So he's kind of a wild card, a question mark for me. Uh, and maybe, we'll, you know, will there be clarity this, this spring? Because – didn't really get clarity last spring. You know, you saw him playing some defense line, talked to him. He's like, yeah, I think I'm going to make this change. But then you saw him also still doing some of the other stuff at the same time when it came to the season. You know, I, I'm looking for Marlon Tuipolotu. Is the explosiveness there? You know, that's something with a back injury. Unfortunately, you know, it saps guys of their explosiveness. We've seen it with Stephen Carr. Saw it with Marlon Tuipolotu early in the season. You saw him come on late in the year. Jay Tefele was great in the pass rush situation. Brandon Peely, a guy that had a down year. Yep. You know, can he bounce back? You know, getting in there as a freshman, got those opportunities because of Marlon Tuipolotu's injury. You know, we thought that he was going to come back last year and have a big season, potentially, you know, be in there and you know, you're going to mix those guys up more because he's playing well. Didn't really happen. He had a little bit of a sophomore slump. So is he coming back? Is he ready to, to go? And Trevor Trout is, is just like a rock in the middle of the, the defensive line. Can you use, find ways to use him as a, you know, as a as a run stuffer? You know, how can how does he improve from his first year? I always say that the, you know, the biggest improvement you see is that first to second year guys are on campus. So we'll see if Trevor Trout's a guy that can can make that move. Caleb Trimble the same thing. I mean, coming from the JUCO ranks to D one is is a big jump. You know, he had some opportunities. He was showing some good moves there. But can he put some combinations and moves together? A lot of times it was one move or maybe two moves that he had. Can he can he show a little bit more? And you know, I, I think that Christian Rector is the key to this group, though. Interesting. I think I think that he's the one that will make this group go because if he can draw extra attention outside, I think I think I like the matchups with Tui Pelotu and Tufele if you can get them one on one, especially in pass rush situations. Uh, but he's got to do a better job just wrapping up and getting guys down. I mean, it was with quarterbacks where he beat a guy off the edge, just couldn't get him down. Same thing with running backs on, on occasion. You know, he just didn't, he wasn't great at tackling last year. He's got to get a little bit better at that. And I think if he does, he can have a monster season. You know, I think that he's shown that he has the ability to get to quarterbacks. Now, finish the plays. And not only, you know, if he can get to the quarterback, get some couple of those strip sacks and different things, you know, that, that he was doing two years ago that really made him pop out. And everybody's like, oh, where did this guy come from? Because he got the opportunities with, uh, with Port Augustine being out. So I'm, I'm looking at those guys. For sure, you know, I, I want to see what Nick Fergaroa has. Is, is it, he a guy who can come in and do something, or does he have to kind of work his way in? I'm, I'm always hesitant with Juco guys. Yeah. You, you think, oh, they're older, they have a chance. But I, I like, especially if they can come in early, I like to see them in the spring and see what they can show. That's why Caleb Tremblay, you got like, this guy could play, you know, if he gets some opportunities. Unfortunately, got hurt. A guy like Morgan Breslin comes in and lights the world on fire his first year. Uh, but you want to see them in spring practice because then you get they get to go through that transition period earlier, and I think that really helps with a junior college player because the, much smoother you, because you start getting that pressure too. Well, I only got two years here. I, you know, I got to I got to work my way in the rotation now. Uh, but if you're able to get in early, then you get the feel of it. You don't you know, there's not as much pressure there in the spring. Obviously, you can make some mistakes and get going and find your way through it. And then Drake Jackson, if he's playing defensive end versus outside linebacker, you know, can people block him? You know, can he use – is he strong enough to use his speed and, you know, if, if a guy gets his hands on him, can he, you know, get away from that? 
because uh, sometimes you know guys are really good in high school coming off the edge. They're a little bit stronger than the tackles, or they're just faster. He has a little bit of a combination, but in college, I think that the strength isn't going to play up as much early. We'll see. You know, he's working out and he's putting on. Clay Helton said he put on what twenty pounds. Yeah. Um, you know, was refuted a little bit by other people. He's like that. He didn't put on that much weight, but he was already a little bit heavier. I think Clay was was uh, weighing him in a little earlier than everyone else. Uh, but he's excited. But he's up to like two seventy five or two eighty. So that's a good playing weight for him if you're using him. And again, it comes down to where exactly you're going to use him because he's a versatile guy. You know, I want to see where he line, they line him up and how they try to attack with him. Kenichi Udesi, the former defensive line coach for this group, was he was kind of like a strict dad in a way. You know, he expected the best out of everyone. And sometimes that rubbed people the wrong way a little bit. Sometimes you could click with KU. Sometimes, you know, I, I remember he told he tweeted to Rasheem Green, like, I wanted to body slam you at one point because you weren't like listening to me, you know. How does a new coach coming in maybe re-energize this group or get a certain guy who is maybe not on KU's top of the list like how does a new coach what infusion does that bring to this group hey everyone has to prove themselves yeah whatever you've done in the past doesn't really matter coach k uh you know chad kawahaha uh you know he is coming in he doesn't know any of these guys maybe he watched some tape maybe he didn't he you know some coaches like to see everything beforehand some coaches like i don't care what you did before you got to prove it to me now and i think that's the case all the time when they come in you've got to prove yourself you might think that, well, I started last year, so I'm going to start this year. No, you got to go prove it to somebody new. This guy's not the same guy as last year. So there'll be some different techniques, I'm sure. There'll be some different drills. And, uh, you know, there might be a drill that Liam Jimmins excels in that, you know, really brings something out of him that, you know, wasn't coming out before just because, you know, there's a way that it was the, the coaching is going on or whatever it may be that, you know, didn't click with someone before that may click now so yeah always with a new position coach I'm looking to see what they're what they try to do like how different are things are you running the same drills you know when John Baxter left the special teams was still John Baxter's drills and there was nothing changed there because there was there wasn't a specific special teams coach brought in it was Johnny Nance so they're just gonna run the same stuff um are you doing that you know is is Tim Drevno running the same running back drills that Dylan McCullough did? Because everyone said, well, those are really good drills. Yeah. Not because Tim Drevno is known for his running back drills. No. So uh, I'm looking forward to that, seeing what he does there and how the players respond. You always want to see kind of how they talk about a coach. You know, oh, he's really tough on me. But, or I'm really excited about him because he shows this in a different way. And, you know, combining this with what KU taught me, now I can, you know, I can take that extra step ahead of whatever it may be. Now, I kind of group Marlon, Tuibaloto, Jay Tefele, and Brandon Peely together because they were kind of like the three amigos coming in in that class. A little ooze crew, yeah. Yeah, for sure. Who do you see rising up from that group this season? You know, I feel like it was kind of Jay Tefele's turn um, last season. First season, it was Brandon Peely. Where, where do you see that shaking out? Yeah, so Jay Tefele, you know, redshirted his freshman year, wasn't ready to contribute. You know, he toned his body up a little bit. He got stronger, and last year he was really, really good. And, you know, I thought that, uh, you know, coming out of the Army Bowl, I, I thought that Jay Tufele was you know, much better than Marlon Tupelotu. And then Marlon Tupelotu came out and, you know, lit the world on fire his freshman year until he got injured. Um, so, you know, when a, a defensive tackle is a freshman coming in and jumping in immediately, you're like, wow, that's, that's saying something. But, you know, I, was, I wasn't really surprised by Jay Tufele popping out last year because I was kind of waiting on it. You know, I expected that actually earlier. 
But you know, Brandon Peely, what he's shown in the past, his athleticism, the ability he he can, you know, dunk the basketball and do all those other things, it tells you that there's something there. Now he just has to you know, go through the coaching. He has to you know find his way as a player. But I think he's a guy that can pop up and you know be a real impact player in the middle of the lineup. He's big. He's strong. He can get stronger. You know, he, he's athletic. He's quick. You know, all the things you want from a defensive tackle. I think he's got a tremendous future if you can tap into it and get to his potential. Any final thoughts about the defensive line? I think I'm good on the defensive line now. Alrighty. There's a lot of those guys, so we get yeah, to talk about them for a minute. Yeah, I, I didn't fully realize until making the rundown the depth as far as defensive line goes. Oh, yeah. Big battles there. Big big boys and big battles. <laughs> so if you're wondering why there's a different sound in this podcast, we had to move our podcast to a different location due to circumstances. So the second half will be via Skype. But we're, we apologize for the different sound quality, but we're still going to get through this defensive preview. The next position that we need to go through is linebacker shotgun. Um, as far as departures go, of course, you have Porter Gustin and Cam Smith leaving and go, trying to go to the next level. And then Wally Batiku announced over the offseason that he is going to transfer. And then you also have Ruben Peters leaving as well. As far as additions, a.k.a. early enrollees, you have Raylan Goforth out of Bosco and Stanley Tauafu out of Grace Brethren. So then as far as the depth chart, the guys uh, that are still on the team, you have outside linebackers Kanai Malga, Jordan Iasefa, Hunter Eccles, Juliana Falanico, Abdul Malik McLean, and Elijah Winston. And then as far as inside linebackers, you have Palaie Nayoteote, John Houston, Raymond Scott, and Solomon Tuliala Pupu. Uh, the linebacker group has a, has a mouthful of names, shotguns. Yeah, definitely. There's some, there's some names in that group, and you know, there's some talent in that group. It, it's some young talent, but there is talent there. You lose a guy like Porter Gustin, you lose a guy like Cam Smith, but you know I think that there is guys there that are ready to step up and, and fill some of those spots. But there's still some question marks there, definitely, especially at the outside linebacker spot. You know those guys are basically defensive ends. Uh, you know they got to be big and bulky. They got to be able to play to the edge. Got to be able to stop that. You know at the same time be able to get to the quarterback. You know I don't know that you you have any experience there. I mean Jordan Asep has been playing the spot, but. You know, he's been playing that same spot, played it really well, but he's not the ideal guy right there. He came in as a middle linebacker. Um, he's not just he's just not quite the body type that Clancy Pendergast is looking for in that spot. So then it becomes how much is Christian Rector playing that outside spot? How much are are those got those young outside linebackers that came in as predators, you know, your Abdul Malik McLean, your Hunter Eccles, who's ready to step up in that group and take over that spot with Port Augusta being gone? I think you're much more comfortable at the middle linebacker spot where Pallier and Nightyote comes in, joins up with John Houston, who's a veteran, you know, been starting for several years now. And then you have Salama Tulia Pupu, who should be healthy this year and should be in that mix to get some playing time there at the wheel spot or even at the middle linebacker spot. We'll see kind of where they play him. That's one of the things I'm looking forward to seeing in the spring is seeing, you know, what he can do on the field and where they want to use him and, and how you can kind of try to find a way to get a guy like that on the field because, you know, he's set out a year. He's ready to go. He's Rick Warren and, you know, ready to take on somebody. So I want to see his, his athleticism play up and see where USC tries to use him. You mentioned trying to get people on the field. I think – where people got the most frustrated last season with talent that maybe was not seen early enough. It was with EA. Um, as far as trying to get maybe Solomon, introduce him and see what he does uh, on the field, how do you think that Clancy will adjust to having so many young talent in the uh, 
linebacker core and how getting the best people on the field? Well, I mean, well, Talia and Agiote, he played three different positions last year. You know, you used him as an outside rusher early in that, I think, Washington State game uh, with some injuries. You used him at the middle linebacker spots, you know, behind Cam Smith when he got injured. And then after uh, John Houston's injury and, you know, kind of seeing that, you know, Ruben Peters wasn't going to be able to fill in at the will spot as well as you wanted to in the UCLA game. He moved to that spot. So, you know, I, I think it's tough for a guy to learn, you know, multiple positions as a freshman. Uh, but Palier and Atiota kind of did that. He, he, he went through different things. And I know a lot of people were upset at the, in the UCLA game. Just USC was not able to stop the run against the Bruins. And, you know, Palier and Atiota was on the sideline for that. Well, he had practice at it all. And Clancy Pendergrass does not like to throw a guy in there that had practice. Now, the next week, he did practice at that spot and took over that. Uh, but I think part of that was you know, just kind of the unforeseen uh, departure of Levi Jones from the program, him you know, basically getting kicked off the team the week before. And, you know, Talia Natiote is coming off – I think he was coming off an injury himself. So, he didn't have a ton of time to, to practice at a new spot. And I kind of asked Clancy about that after the game. It's like, you know, did you have an opportunity? Did you want to, you know, did you want to use him as a, at that wheel spot and, you know, kind of train him up? He said, you know, he would prefer with freshmen to give them one job and let them, you know, focus on that and get really good at that. And instead, Pallier had to, you know, bounce around. And now he's, he's such a good linebacker that he could do that. But he also made some mistakes you know, when he was in there because he's still a freshman. So it's kind of hard to, to do that balance of can we get the guys in and, you know, get the most talented guys on the field, even if they're, you know, not ready and don't know the defense as well as some of the veteran guys. That's kind of difficult. It's a, it's a hard balance to make. Clancy usually sides with experience and guys that know the defense and aren't going to be out of place on a gap because you see when USC gets out, is not sound with their gaps, the, the issues they have in the Arizona State game. You know, a couple of years back, the Stanford game, you know, looking at, you know, guys like Christian McCaffrey tearing up the USC defense. But, you know, Bryce Love, the game uh, at, at USC, they bottled him up completely two years ago, except for he had like a 70 or 80 yard touchdown run. So he ends up with 120 or 30 yards, even though he didn't really do much besides one run because the explosive guys, it only takes one run or one catch and, you know, someone out of place and they can take it for a, a big game. Obviously, the Arizona State game, that's why they lost that game. So, uh, you know, I think it's a, a tough balance for Clancy. He usually sides with experienced guys because he's an NFL guy, and guys usually know exactly what they're supposed to do when they get in there. And it's more physical uh, physical errors that get you beat in the NFL rather than the mental ones as much. So, yeah, I think it, it's hard hard to balance that, but I think what, what he needs to do is find a way to get those guys at five or six or eight plays at early in their career per game so that they get in there and they know what they're doing a little bit more. If they make a mistake, maybe it doesn't hurt you so bad against, you know, Fresno State or a UNLV or a team like that. To, so when you get into a game with Stanford and, you know, one little scene can create a big big uh, run, that doesn't happen. Or against, you know, with, with Eno Benjamin at Arizona State or something like that as well. I, I think that you got, he's got to find a little bit better balance of it. But I understand more than most fans – you know, why he doesn't do it, uh, just with his background as an NFL defense coordinator and everything. But I, I think you still got to try to find a way to mix in those guys a little bit more. And if, if the guys that have an opportunity to get in early, you know, like Raylan Goforth and, and, you know, Solomon Tulia-Pupu wasn't able to practice at all last year, this spring is really important because 
this is the time where you learn and you can make some more mistakes rather than having it happen in a game. And if you show that you can improve during spring camp, taking that step to the next to fall camp and continue to progress as you go through each of your camps, I think that gives uh, Clancy Pendergrass a lot more uh, room to, to use a player rather than, you know, if you come in in the fall and all of a sudden we got to throw you in the mix uh, instead of having that extra camp. I think it just it, it, it plays so much up with a coordinator like Clancy Pendergrass who wants to see you, wants to make sure you're doing everything right. You get that extra camp, I think it really helps. Yeah, and in general, for all the early enrollees coming in this spring, it's always been said, when you come early, it's such a head start over the freshmen who come in the fall. You know, you get so much more used to it. And you see guys like Cam Smith come out of that, and they look much more advanced than the rest of their class. So it's interesting who's going to take advantage of that extra time that they get as an early enrollee. Um, But as far as outside linebackers, that predator position... Uh, we had a question from Anthony in L.A. He says, I favor Kanai as the successor for Porter. Who is your favorite? You know, looking at that position, I think Hunter Echols, you know, looking at breaking down the players that, that made the biggest impact in their when, in pass rush situations last year, he had some of the best stats as far as pressures, you know, per uh, pass rushing attempt. And I think he's a guy that if he gets in his playbook and he's really focused, he can take over that position especially rushing the passer. Now, the question is, can he stop the run at the same time? And I, I think that's where I'm not sure what USC wants out of that position. you got to find, can, do they have the guy on the roster that can do both, like Port Augustine can, could, or do they have to, you know, basically rotate a couple guys in and use them in specific situations based on what the, uh, you know, what the down and distance kind of dictates? I know they want to use guys, especially in those third long situations, they want to have the pass rushers that can come off the edge, obviously. But do you have those every down guys? And that's where I think there's some question marks in this group because it's just an inexperienced group. I mean, you got uh, you got Hunter Eccles, you've got Kanai, you've got Abdul Malik McLean. How many snaps does that group have combined? If you add in Elijah Winston, uh, you know, the, the freshmen that are coming in, no, there's just not a lot of experience there. So I think there's going to be – uh, you know, an important spring and for that position as well is going to be one of the bigger position battles because that one is really up in the air. There's no real true front runner there. So Hunter Eccles had the advantage, but at the end of the season, I built Malik McLean kind of took his spot on those third down pass rush situations. And then we saw Elijah Winston get a couple opportunities as well. So I think that it's, it's, it's one of the bigger battles going into the spring is who's going to come away with that spot uh, there for USC and who's going to be able to hold the edge against the run, but also get the quarterback and cause some chaos in that backfield. You know, you and I have talked a lot on this podcast about the Porter-Gustin difference and how much that changed USC's defense. And granted, of course, he's gone, obviously. But do you think anyone in this depth chart can match with maybe development, can match that production level that Porter-Gustin had? Or is that something that you can only replace with another uh, high star level guy that you recruit. I mean, these guys are all three. I mean, uh, they're all four star guys, I believe. I believe Kanai uh, got bumped up as well. You know, I, I, the question is, no one has the same body type as Port Augustus. So I think that that you can still make plays without having that same, you know, the six foot four frame like he had, 270, 280 pounds. You know, he has. That's a similar. He's a similar weight to Christian Rector, actually. I mean, Rector might be a little bit more than him, but they were both able to play. You know, he was able to play at a, you know, at a 
much heavier weight than you're seeing guys like Hunter Eccles and, and Kanai Malga. But I think that you can still be really effective coming off the edge there. But I don't think that any of these guys right now is ready to step right into that role as Port Augustine. And we saw him, how he had progressed from when he was splitting time with, with Scott Felix to becoming the guy and you know working through the injuries and everything. He, he never was just a, a guy that just took over the spot immediately. He had to work his way up to progress and get much better. I mean, if you remember, there was a lot of chats about how he was overrated because early in his career, he, he had, you know, I think he had a couple sacks his freshman year, and, you know, people were expecting him just to be able to get to the quarterback all the time, and, and that just didn't happen. Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. So as far as maybe if we want to go through this depth chart, defensive depth chart as level of concern, I think you could rate defensive line, not concerned as far as depth. Linebackers, is it like a medium concern? Uh, I mean, if we're, if we're rating just based on the position groups, it's definitely in the middle. Um, you know, I think there's a lot of talent there. The, the questions are those outside linebacker spots, not the middle. I think you're, you're confident in Pallier and Atiote being able to take that next step and take over that starting role and, and be a guy in the middle of the, line, of the defense. And maybe he can be the guy that kind of scares offense, where he didn't really have that last year. USC's kind of been missing that in the middle of their defense for a couple of years now. You know, maybe even since Leonard Williams. So, you know, I, I think that he's a guy to come in and he can do a lot of things. Now, he's got to get better at some things, obviously. He's got to be able to read the, the offense a little bit more than he was last year. He got out of position a couple of times. Plus, he's so quick to, you know, his first step's really good coming downhill. He gets in the hole, makes tackles behind the line of scrimmage. Where Cam Smith made a ton of tackles in his career. He made some tackles behind the line of scrimmage, but Pali and Atiote really shoots the gaps really well and really attacks behind the line of scrimmage. Sometimes that hurts him when he gets out of, out of place and out of position a little bit, but a lot of times he's able to make some big plays that kind of can, can change the momentum of a game uh, and even a drive, you know, just be able to get those stops behind the line of scrimmage, putting teams in second and 12 or third and 14 or something, changes the dynamic a lot more than third and eight. So any final thoughts before we wrap up the linebacker section? Yeah, I'm looking forward to seeing those guys on the edge and how they progress. With a battle now, you know, before it was Port Augustine's going to be there. That's obvious. Now that young group of pass rushers, who can show that they can do more than just try to get in the backfield? And who can consistently get in the backfield as well? That's a great point. And as far as Porter was definitely the leader in that group, besides just in the weight room, which I think we chronicled a lot, but just on the field, he had that presence of this was the level of play that you could rise to because Porter was that guy. And now who takes that mantle? Who takes the, the leadership position in that group? Um, I'm very curious about. I think Jordan has step as your guy. I think he's the guy that steps up. Now the question is, is he, I don't know that he's going to be your vocal guy, but I don't think Porter necessarily was either. So I, I think that, you're going to see similar similar leadership uh, style there if you go from Porter to, to Jordan Iasepa. Yeah. I, yeah, I think so. I could agree with that. I think also, where do you see as far as leadership EA and John Houston? John Houston, I've talked to him a lot about his evolution as a leader. He, of course, he's more of a silent leader in that sense, but he's had to step up that role. Do you see EA coming in and taking that type of transition of power over in stride from Cam to him? It'll be interesting to see because he is such a dynamic player, and I think people just gravitate towards him. He's got a big smile when he makes a play, and I think the the rest of, the, of his teammates kind of feel that, and you know he, he kind of fuels that when he makes some of those big plays. So 
I think that, that people may gravitate towards him, even though he may not necessarily be the guy you expect to kind of step up. I might, I, I think just because of his play, he might be the guy that people start looking to. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, moving on to defensive backs. Now, this is the tricky position, and I think if you follow USC at all, you know that this is the, the area of concern uh, for USC as far as depth goes. Um, so as far as departures, everyone buckle in. This is going to be a long one. You have Iman Marshall, Marvell Tell, Jonathan Lockett, Jane Harris. They all left uh, to the next level. Um, you have Akili Ross, Bubba Bolden, Isaiah Langley, and Jakari Godfrey all left uh, early for one reason or another. Um, and as far as additions, a.k.a. early enrollees, you have Britton Allen uh, all the way from Florida in IMG Academy. And then Max Williams, who is out of Sarah. And uh, Clay Helton actually highlighted Max Williams and seemed very impressed with him in his National Signing Day press where he said he's never seen someone work as hard as Mac, Max Williams to come back and be healthy. Um, so that's kind of TBD on his progress there and, and when he'll be used. Um, but as far as the rest of the depth chart, who is actually left? Uh, in the defensive backs room, at corner, you have Dominic Davis, Greg Johnson, Isaac Taylor-Stewart, and Chase Williams. And then as far as safeties, you have just three. You have C.J. Pollard, Isaiah Polamau, and Talanoa Hufunga. So, Shotgun, that's a lot of names. That's a lot of changes in that, that whole uh, position. What stands out to you about that whole dynamic? How many bodies are you actually going to have being able to participate in? in practice in the spring. Yeah. I mean, we're looking at this from a spring perspective, and, you know, I just don't know that they're going to have enough guys to be able to go, you know, not going to have too deep, that's for sure, because guys like Isaiah Polamau still coming back from shoulder surgery. Elijah Griffin had shoulder surgery. Greg Johnson had shoulder surgery. Are any of those guys going to be able to participate in any full contact? I doubt it. You know, Talanoa Hufunga should be back from the broken collarbone. He looks like he's good to go, so... You may have two safeties. You get Britton Allen in, so you might have a third one, you know, depending on you know, who you want to put that nickel position, which I think will be Chase Williams. So you might have six guys. I, I mean, you got Dominic Davis is probably going to play uh, the nickel spot too, and, and Chase Williams at nickel. Then on the outside, you got Isaac Taylor Stewart and question marks. So maybe Chase Williams starts out there just so you have an opportunity to, you know, to practice with enough cornerbacks, but. There's just a lot of question marks about how how are you going to actually be able to practice with so few guys available. Um, so I think that's the biggest question. Like, how is the defense going to be able to take the next step and move forward when you can't really practice with the full team? Now you got some some walk-ons that are going to be able to, to step in and help out. Uh, you know, guys like Jordan McMillan who stepped into that Notre Dame game and had the bigger interception. You got some walk-ons that will be able to give you bodies, but you want to be able to get those safeties need to be working together. You need to find out who can work together best. I mean, you know, Bruce talked about it last night on our, our Facebook Live about how Marvell Tell, you know, he was constantly changing who he was with, you know, the, the last season. So it was hard for him to get that same communication down that he had with Leon McQuay and Chris Hawkins before. So getting those guys on the same page is, you know, a, a big thing for USC in the back end because, in the last two years, you've lost every experience safety you have. And, you know, you lose Chris Hawkins, but, well, that's a big loss. You know, with him being able to line everybody up. Now you lose Marvell Tell, you know, one of your best playmakers there, and now you're in trouble as far as having the leader in the back. I mean, C.J. Pollard is going to be your leader, and I think he's still kind of a young guy, especially experience-wise. He doesn't have a ton of reps. 
so I, I, I'm really concerned about seeing that, that group and how they can progress with, with so few bodies because you're just not going to get the reps that you need to get with each other uh, to be able to you know, potentially progress in that back end, especially to the safeties, to, to where you know exactly what the other person is going to do, how you can you know, help them out, how you kind of work together to, to be able to create a complete defense. How much is this position and that depth problem a real problem as far as USC's growth and development at that whole at those two positions. I think that the the experience that they're going to get as far as you know being able to practice and they're going to get a ton of reps. So the guys that are healthy are are going to be helped by the fact that they are going to be out there. They're going to be dog tired, but they're going to get a lot of reps. They're going to get opportunities to prove themselves. So guys like C.J. Pollard, who you know, has been passed over. It was passed over last year by Talano Hufunga. was kind of passed over by Isaiah Polamau, uh, you know, before him. So he's got an opportunity. He's going to get all the reps that he can take this spring. So what do you do with those reps? So I think those guys have an opportunity at least. Uh, I, I think the same thing with, you know, Elijah Griffin, I mean, and, and Isaac Taylor Stewart. If either of those guys are healthy, you know, Isaac Taylor Stewart shouldn't be full go. If Elijah Griffin, depending on the severity of his shoulder surgery, I don't think he'll be back, but if he is, him and Greg Johnson, those guys, those are opportunities. It's kind of like the quarterbacks last year. You know, you had these you had these inexperienced guys that are older, and they're trying to hold off these young guys that are coming in. Uh, and, you know, they had the opportunity in the spring to push themselves ahead and, you know, have that leg up going into the fall camp because a guy like JT Daniels wasn't coming in until the fall. Well, now these DBs have the same thing. The ones that are veteran guys, they have a chance to say, hey, I'm, I'm much better than all these other guys. I'm already at this level. Whereas if you have a bad spring, the competition is completely open come fall. Where If you're one of the older guys, you want to make sure and push yourself to the front of that list rather than being, okay, well, we head into the fall. We still got to figure out who we're going to be at safety instead of, well, we think this guy is probably the guy. We'll see what happens in fall. You know, That's the difference that the coaches are going to be looking at it as. Or do you go into the fall as the guy or you know, expected to be the guy, or do you go in and, well, they still got to beat out these freshmen because we haven't seen what the freshmen can do. We're still not sure about the, these veteran guys. I think it's a great opportunity for those guys, but there's also pressure there. There's pressure in the spring for Dominic Davis, for, uh, for C.J. Pollard, for Greg Johnson, those guys that are older, if they can come back and be healthy. You know, there's a little bit of pressure on them to, to perform the spring and try to push themselves above everyone else. Yeah, I completely agree. Uh, as far as Elijah Griffin goes, we actually got a question about that from Anthony in L.A., he specifically mentioned how in the offensive podcast, Shotgun, you you mentioned there's a jump between uh, you look at the first year to second year, that progression, that jump. What do you expect from Elijah Griffin going into his second year? You know, I, I think he's a guy that, that showed some improvement, showed some flashes during uh, fall camp last year. He showed some improvement throughout the year. He's got to take his game to the next level, and I think he can. You know, I, I think he and Isaac Taylor Stewart both can take a big jump and could potentially be the starting guys. And, you know, the question then becomes, what is Greg Johnson do? Because he's kind of been limited, and that's part of the thing with, with Elijah Griffin that I'm hesitant to say he will take that jump. I know he's a guy that works really hard uh, off the field and stuff, but when you're having a shoulder surgery, that limits what you can do. So, you know, you can't really lift the same. You, you can do legs, but you can't, you know, you can't work on your upper body pretty much at all. So I, I'm, I think he can make that jump, but I'm not willing to say that I expect him to make that jump because of the injury and the fact that he's going to sap him of his strength. It's going to sap him from these extra opportunities he would have this spring. Uh, so if it is a, 
you know, shoulder surgery is pretty much for all serious, but if it is a serious enough one that he's not able to come back during the spring and practice, I think that it's, it's going to be harder for him to make that big jump. But I think he's definitely talented enough to do it. I was about to ask you, do you know the details about his surgery? Because that's not something that we were necessarily informed of uh, as the season came to a close. Do you know what, what are the details behind his surgery? Just know that it was a shoulder surgery. You know, I, I talked to him briefly at, at the opening in Los Angeles, and you know, he, he confirmed that it was a shoulder injury. Um, I don't know if it was just a cleanup. You know, it, you know, obviously baseball. If you have shoulder surgery, it's much different than football. Uh, but you know, shoulders are really important, and you you see a lot of DBs. You know, smaller guys that like to hit will have shoulder injuries. You saw John Platt, uh, John Plattenberg uh, have have a couple of shoulder injuries and. You know, because if you come up and lay a lick, a lot of times you're leading with that shoulder and you can, you can have separations and different things. You know, sometimes it's just a stability thing. Uh, you saw that that's, that was the deal with Isaiah Polamau. The surgery they went in, it was to stabilize the shoulder because it was popping out uh, from a couple of the hits that he had. So sometimes you see separated shoulders, you have to just stabilize them. Other times you're cleaning up stuff you know, as far as like raising your arm up and, and being able to rotate her cuff and different things in there. So there's a lot of different things a shoulder surgery could be. So that's why it's hard to say exactly, you know, what his timetable will be coming back. That's something we'll find out at the very beginning of spring. I'm sure that Clay Helton will give us an update about, you know, which guys are going to be out for the entirety of spring, and which guys might be back uh, later in the spring. Yeah, agreed. Um, as far as that group, though, I mean, do you expect those guys who do come in and fall – uh, those reinforcements, if you will, will they have a big impact on this position, or are you, we just looking at this main group that is here in spring? No, I think that some of those guys have a chance to to get some playing time because one, you're going to need those guys on special teams for sure, because you know you you want outside gunners and different things of that nature. So you're going to have some of those young guys getting opportunities on special teams now. What do they do with those opportunities? Can they translate that and? and and push that into some playing time on the, on the DB spots as well. You know, I, I think a guy like Chase Williams showed, you know, a guy that works hard in practice and what he can do when he gets an opportunity in a game. Uh, I, I think he's a guy that, that has a has a starting spot potentially. He just has to prove it this spring and, and can potentially lock that up. He's one of those guys that can do that. These older guys, you know, what, how do they progress? Because if they're not, if they're not progressing during the spring – and they're not showing that they are the guys, then the other guys are going to get those opportunities, and they're going to have to fend them off even more later than when, when they can just kind of prove themselves now. So I think it, it's, uh, it determines, will be determined by the guys that are on campus right now as to how much those guys coming in. I don't know that there's a lot of you know, uh, early difference makers in that group, but if the, if the older guys aren't proving themselves, then they're going to get opportunities in the, in the fall so I think it's kind of dependent on the older guys this spring as to how the, the young guys coming in, how much opportunities they may get. Yeah, I completely agree. And that since your your quarterback analogy from last season is, is pretty spot on. Any final thoughts on the defensive back position before we look at this as a, as a whole? You know, I just think that there's so few bodies that the guys that have the opportunities, they need to show us something. They're going to get every opportunity. They got to make the most of it. And I think a guy like Jordan Millen can come up and say, hey, you know, I deserve to be getting some reps in the safety spot or wherever it may be because, you know, I'm proving myself, uh, you know, as a walk-on here in spring camp when, you know, sometimes guys like Matt Lopes, we always thought Matt Lopes pretty good, especially for a walk-on, but 
he never got that opportunity to just be the starting safety during a, a, a spring camp. And Jordan McMillan will be in that mix. He'll be straight in the rotation. He'll be getting all those opportunities. A guy like that could prove himself and move his way up the board as well. Yeah, agreed. So as a whole, uh, looking at this defense, what are the storylines that pop out to you? What are you looking for when you get to spring? What are you writing your little notes about? I mean, it starts with the defensive backs and, you know, just the bodies there. Is USC able to practice their offense fully, be, you know, with how many numbers they have on the, in the defensive backfield? That's going to be a question. So I'm looking to see how that outside linebacker, that predator spot, that competition, and then the bodies in the defensive secondary, you know, how are they able to maybe beg, borrow, and deal with those guys? You, you run your offense against half field so that you give more rest to the other side of the of the uh, defense i don't know exactly how they're going to do that you know and you're not going to be able to run a ton of go routes back to back to back or anything because you're just not going to have defenses ready to to be able to to be able to compete in those type of things so they're going to be dog tired yeah agreed um i'm looking at that i'm really curious just to see what ea does now that he has that that free shot at that spot um does he how much does he take advantage of that how much does he become a leader in that spot um, like I said earlier, I'm really curious the what happens as far as the growth between Marlon Jay and Brandon Peely on the defensive line, and maybe seeing more of Caleb Tremblay, see what Nick Figueroa can do, how that all shakes up. Um, but there's a lot to watch for on this defense. Yeah, definitely. I mean, it, it's we're going to talk a lot about the offense during the spring because it's new, but there are a lot of questions on the defense because of how many guys they lost. Yeah. So especially in the back seven. So we'll see how that progresses and what Clancy does to, to try to remedy, you know, some areas of need and, and how he can figure out how to, you know, because he like, he'll, he'll make some adjustments and we'll see exactly what they're trying to do with that defense this spring to give us an idea going forward into the fall. Yep. Alrighty, I think that's going to wrap it up for the defensive preview, right, Shotgun? Any, any final thoughts? I think we're good on the defense. You guys send us your questions. We'll, we'll try to answer some of those next week during the podcast where we talk about special teams, a little bit of coach strategy, a little bit of everything there. So, you know, we'll probably need your questions. So send them to us. And we'll, we'll try to answer as many as we can about offense and defense as well. So uh, anything we've talked about already, feel free to ask us about those again or, uh, you know, the coaching and the strategy point uh, of going through spring camp this year as well. We'll look forward to, to getting to those next week. Yep. Agreed. Alrighty, that's going to wrap it up. Thanks so much for watching. We'll be back next week with another pod. Sorry again for the the audio shift. That won't happen next week, uh, but we'll see you guys next week.